0: Are you here well I'm gonna mark you down as here now are they here I heard they were gonna be here so so I'll mark them down as here also wait am I here check yes (laughs) well I mean that goes without saying are we here yes Green light is on, so we'll start this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. Uh-oh, uh, hold the press. Paul, Paul, is Jimmy, is Jimmy here? Is Jimmy Payne here? You are nodding. Oh, good, I'm getting the thumbs up and the OK symbol, international sign of everything's good, A-OK. It's a thumbs up with the OK So the musical Jimmy Payne, great guy that he is, is here on the Paul Leslie Hour, waiting in the wings. The guest on this episode is indeed a great singer and songwriter, Jimmy Payne. He's the co-writer of the classic Gary Puckett and Union Gap monster killer hit song, Woman Woman among others. Of course, you all know, woman, woman, I don't do it justice, but Jimmy wrote that song. Now, if you want to help us with the Paul Leslie Hour in the ongoing 18-year saga of helping people tell their stories, just visit www.ThePaulLeslieHour.com dot com slash support. And we thank you. And Paul, I think we'd better get the interview going, and a good place to start would be well, let's start with the word well. So well.
1: Well ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure And an honor to be welcoming this man. Jimmy Payne is a country music singer, songwriter, live performer, recording artist. There are some great songs that he wrote, and some of you may be familiar with some of them. How about Woman Woman, made famous by Gary Puckett and the Union Gap? Or there's always Charlie's Pride's number one single, My Eyes Can Only See As Far As You. To name some of the major recording artists who have recorded his work, there would be Tammy Wynette, Glenn Campbell, Tom Paul and the Glacier Brothers, Connie Smith, Whispering Bill Anderson, Ray Price, The Letterman, and others. He's appeared on countless stages, including the Grand Ole Opry. He's made records. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to welcome Jimmy Payne. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, thank you, Paul. It's just so so good making this contact. Yeah, I love doing this sort of thing.
1: Well, we're honored to talk to you, and it's, and it's great to be with you today. It's an honor. So, tell us,
2: Jimmy, what kind
1: of music did you grow up
2: with? I grew up uh, with, I guess, would be considered hillbilly music. In those days, it was, it still was the Grand Ole opera and it was country radio. In those days, early Johnny Cash and gospel music that we would, uh, listen to. I started singing gospel in church, country gospel, me and my niece, Betty, who later became Mrs. John Hartford, for, you know, and, uh, so, but that was my background. My folks were sharecroppers. We picked cotton or, and chopped cotton. That was our basic crop. It was just, it, it was just real, uh, Real old-time stuff. This was back in the 50s, I'm thinking about, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most people didn't know the 50s existed. <laughs> did you always know that you had a particular ability in music? You know, I think I did, but I don't know where that really came from, because when I, I believe that I was in the sixth grade, and I was trying to get in that little school band and play something, and all there was to play was symbols, and I said I'll do that. You know, but they got to checking around, and I didn't know how to read any music. And I think those other little kids, some of them had uh, some formal training in reading music. Well, I didn't know. All I could do was count, and I was willing to do that. You know, but they didn't let me do it. And so when they dismissed that, I thought maybe i thought i don't know what i thought at the time but i thought there'll be another opportunity along the way you know the opportunity came when our church they had a string band in it and so i go got just old enough to want to to be up there with them and i and i had friends my age that played as well and that really helped me and i had a mentor that was became my actual hero and he became a big time gospel songwriter had had stuff recorded by oh my goodness, uh, Goodman family, and just so many I, I don't have that written down, <laughs> but he hey, there was a bunch of gospel quartets and things back at that time, and uh, he was getting stuff published and recorded all around the world. His name was Jack Campbell. He wrote a big song called "Jesus Use Me, and I know a Man who can." I think Governor Jimmy Davis sang that and also George Jones did, but not in those years. Those years he basically played guitar in church and he had all of us two or three little mentors under him, you know, and we would get a little busy and, you know, fumbling on the strings in church and he would just he would just touch the neck of the guitar as if to say not now boy <laughs> so i got to, i got the gist of that that i wasn't supposed to be playing while the preacher was talking you know <laughs> just by what jack did you know and i mean it was just a it was just a wonderful relationship that we had in those days and i went from there to singing with my niece we started out doing some old lubin brother songs my dad even thought we wrote those songs. He was listening to the Opry one Saturday night, and he said, Well, son, ain't that your, ain't that one of your songs? And I said, No, Dad, that we sing one of their songs. <laughs> but I think he wanted it to be. <laughs> I did, too, but it wasn't. <laughs> so on that note, how did you learn to write songs? You know something? I don't know. I guess writing with some of the people that that had been in the business for a while. My first co writer in Nashville was Jim Glazer. Actually that was Woman Woman was the first song we wrote together. And that was that was it right then. You know, I admired him so much from the things he had written already and I we it it just jailed that night. He was at the Opry Mel Tillis asked him to come in and listen to a song he was working on, and it was Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town. And Jim kept thinking they should have said woman. He should have said woman, don't take your love to town, you know. And that kind of stuck in his mind. Woman, have you got cheating on your mind? And he and he wrote a little bit, I think, to it that night and wrote the last verse and put it in a drawer at home and just had it kind of file back. And so the night that we decided to write that song, he called his wife and asked her to read those lines to him on the phone. And I was always good with melodies, so I took that verse and wrote a melody to it. We wrote two new, two more verses that night to it, and then I put the record out. and Glenn Campbell was first to cover me, and he found by the time I get to Phoenix and Woman Woman, my record was playing on the radio in L. A. He liked both of them. He he was more drawn to by the time I get to Phoenix, but he loved Woman Woman too. But he couldn't put them both out at the same time, and he knew time was of the essence. So he told Jerry Fuller at Columbia Records, who had just signed Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, and they didn't have anything to record. And so he says, "Why don't you record Woman Woman on your boys?" Boy, those were those were the nicest words I ever heard. You know, <laughs> Glenn actually. I talked them into doing that just by his suggestion, and they did it. And I think Glenn even played on the record since he was part of that group of studio musicians out there. I can't think, think of what they call them right now, but they, they had a name, but that record came out. Glenn, the reason I know about that, I, I read it in his Rhinestone Cowboy book. I had heard similar stories, but I I hadn't heard them in his words yet, but I did did pick up the book somewhere, and, and it was in there.
1: So tell us about the emotional response that you had. What did it feel like the first time you heard a song that
2: you wrote playing over the radio? Well, I tell you, it was a great feeling, but there was there was a disappointment there because I hate to be telling on Billy Sherrill now, and he, he's been passed for a few years, but when my record came out, Billy had sent, another version to New York and told him to hold on to that, not release it because he had done another mixed, another version. So he sent that new version that he had mixed, which was only the difference in it was a guitar. He overdubbed over some vocal group parts that went, ooh, 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 and that's on one of the versions that's out there. And he, uh, he kind of got aggravated with his label since he, anyway, he, they they released the wrong record first and it was already being added to radio stations across the country and they really liked it they didn't know there was another one that was going to be released and at distributor level he made phone calls and the distributor sent letters to don't play that version but play this new version which the disc jockeys told me later on in the year In October at the DJ convention, they said, Jimmy, no reflection on you, but when we're told to get off a record, we usually don't go back on it. (laughs) And man, it was just like the kiss of death for my record on that. And there was a few stragglers that kept playing it, but not enough to make the charts, you know?
1: Right. So,
2: so it was just right, I guess, to happen this way, but it, it was a bad thing to happen to mine, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I would have had a pop hit on it. It made no difference in the overall record sound. It's just Billy wanted uh, his ideas expressed on record. You know what I mean? Right. That, that's the only thing I can figure there. You know, I mean, I love Billy Sherrill. Don't don't get me wrong, but that shouldn't have happened.
1: We're talking with singer, songwriter, performing, and recording artist Jimmy Payne.
2: What song of yours? Do you enjoy performing out the most? Well, I guess it's Feeling the Weight of My Chains. That's a song I wrote by myself, and uh, there's not a lot of people recorded it. There's a couple of English and uh, Irish versions, and my mine originally, my original version, it's just one that's dear to my heart, you know, and uh, yeah, I would really love to see that one become a hit, but there's, you know, not many versions of it out there. You know, it seems like a lot of
1: songwriters the, when you ask them their favorite song from their catalog, it's not necessarily the the huge hit. Sometimes it's something that's not as many people know. <laughs>
2: well, I had I had the advantage of uh, of feeling every line in that song, you know what I mean? And nobody was telling me how long it should be or. Anything. I wrote it on one fifth of July. And I, was, I went into me and my brother-in-law had Clancy music in those days. And I was the only one in town, I believe, on that fifth of July, you know. And so I just went into town and worked on that song and came home with it. You know what I mean? And so that was written out of uh, I had calls out and nobody called me back because nobody was in their office that day, you know, <laughs> I. You know, the 4th and 5th, they would just take off when they were together like that, you know I don't know what day of the week it fell on at the time but, But I remember it was the 5th of July at some year I wrote that song A long time ago Now, speaking of
1: performing I mentioned at the beginning of our introduction here That you have actually stepped foot on the Grand Ole Opry stage And I'm curious to know because that was back in the 60s. What was the Opry? 66. 66. So what was mm-hmm. the Grand Ole Opry like in 66?
2: Well, we there was David Houston, Bobby Bear, Connie Smith, a lot of the same ones that you grew up listening to. They were, the, they were all the same, you know, and the four guys were uh, singing background. They were. I had one of the pictures that was made of me that night. The four guys was in the background singing with me. You know, and uh, my biggest trouble there, I had a hard time getting on stage. The union man got me before I got it, before I was introduced, uh, Mr. Cooper. And he started harassing me about a union card. I said, I have a union card. It's just not your local. I'll show it to you after a while, but they're calling my name for crying out loud. (laughs) And he, he showed so little sensitivity that I was mad at him for a long time. <laughs> but I got over it. But I did get three encores that night. There you go. Just to spy him. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, I got to thinking about Hank Williams standing out there in, that, in the same spot that I was going to be standing. I was nervous when I went on stage, you know, I really was. I was on Tom Paul and the Glazer Brothers portion of the Opry.
1: You said you got three encores, and like you were saying. You have to think about all of the great, great singers that, and you know, that had gone before you. What, What is it like when you're on stage like that and you're getting that kind of reaction?
2: It's kind of like I was standing in another body, you know, not my own. That's the only way I could explain it probably. No one asked me that before. <laughs> <laughs> so It was like I was just out there in spirit, you know. Yeah, wow I I guess that's the way I would say it Maybe I was (laughs) I don't know
1: (laughs) Now, I listed all of these Great recording artists That the the world knows That have done Mm -hmm. your songs Tammy Wynette, Glenn Campbell You mentioned Connie Smith Who I think is just one of the best Bill Anderson Who is also a great writer Ray Price Is there a Version of one of your songs
2: that someone has done that really knocked you out. Well, I'll tell you. If, have you heard The Letterman do "Woman, Woman"? They do it in modern harmony. They do the most different version, probably. And of course, the Four Tops—we didn't mention them, but they also did "Woman, Woman," and they done a fantastic job. But it, but nobody beat Gary Puckett or Glen Campbell on it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, uh I mean, they were just out of sight. And Tom Paul and the Glazer Brothers even recorded that in Jim Glazer had a single on it, I believe, later on. In the 70s, I think, he put it out again. But uh seemed like the world only wanted that one record by Gary Puckett. You know? mm. Well, I'm glad they did, but it sold millions, and it's still making money out there, you know.
1: Now, tell us about the Charlie Pride cut. My eyes can only see as
2: far as you. The Charlie Pride cut, I wrote that with Naomi Martin, and we wrote it twice, really. The first time, we had a little negativity in it that, like, even though we may not spend our life together, my eyes can only see as far as you. And I played it for Loretta Lynn one day, and she said, I don't understand it. (laughs) She said, if you... If you're not going to live together, how, I said, it's only from this one person's viewpoint that his eyes can only see as far as her. She don't feel that way, you know. But we had to change it. I told Naomi, Naomi, if Loretta don't, if Loretta don't understand it, there's a lot of other people that's not going to as well. So we got busy and changed it. And it was basically about my wife as far as my eyes can only see as far as you.
1: Hmm.
2: That was who it was about.
1: Now, you have had the chance to meet so many iconic people. We just mentioned Charlie Pride, who I thought was Uh just a a very, very sweet person. Uh, I, I love
2: Charlie.
1: Yeah. Tell us, what kind of guy was Charlie
2: Pride? Well, I have not been around him that much, but there was just an aura about him, you know, special. Yeah. You know? the way he treated people, and and he was sincere with it, you know? Right. I think he loved everybody. That's the feeling I got out of him, you know? Yeah, that's, that's well put. And I certainly loved him. Naomi, my co-writer, actually knew him better than I did. I didn't know him that well.
1: Tell me, what was it like when you heard that somebody who is such a great writer himself, and I'm talking about Bill Anderson... Who just came out with another album. He's still at it. He is. What is it like when someone who is such a great writer decides to record your work?
2: And this was at a time that he was hot as a writer. And I was in his building, and he saw me. And he hollered at me and asked me to come in his office for a second. And he said, Jimmy, uh, I'm getting ready to record. Do you have anything? I, it was such an honor to be asked by the great Bill Anderson if I had anything for that he could record. And and I had this one song that, that Jim Glazer and I had just written. And I said, this, this is a good song, you know. And uh, it was called, And I'm Still Missing You. And he figured out a way to make a recitation in it. I didn't have one in there, but he, you know Bill's going to figure out a way to talk in a, in a song. And it just was absolutely brilliant the way he did it. And off the strength of his record, I got three more cuts off that by, uh, it was because of his record. You know, really, Dottie West did it, Jimmy Dean did it, and Jerry Bradley told me that he recorded on Jimmy Dean and Dotty West as a duet, but I have never heard the record, never saw it. So I don't know if it got scrapped or if it's in an album out there somewhere. Maybe your fans could find that, you know, <laughs> your listeners, Maybe that would be did. a good a good test for them. But I never could find it, the well, duet folks, by Dottie West and Jimmy Dean. Maybe somebody
1: out there, you've got this thing. Get in touch with us, please. <laughs> it's called And I'm Still Missing You. And I'm Still Missing You. I listed all of these accolades that you have and all of these, you know, different Accomplishments and experiences like the the Opry stage, working with great talent, having great talent record you. What would you say is the best thing about being Jimmy Payne?
2: Oh, my. That would have to be on a good day. (laughs) Let's see. Well, I don't know if I've ever been asked that before and I don't know if I have an answer for that. <laughs> and keep in mind it doesn't have to be limited to Maybe
1: music. nothing. <laughs> it doesn't have to be limited to music.
2: Okay. Well, I've I've always had a sweet family that that believed in me and still do and and uh but you probably know the situation. I've just lost my wife in the last couple of weeks and uh that was that was the hardest thing i guess but i'll tell you i've i'm i'm a person that believes in prayer and i believe that all of the people that i've known worldwide have been commenting on it and lifting me up in prayer and i have felt those prayers but i didn't know that i could get through something like this and i have you know with their help well and that was that was the first time I felt this much love in so many places. And, it, and it's helped get me through this this time period. She passed away on the 28th of May. Very sorry for your loss. We had our memorial service Sunday, Saturday, I mean, last Saturday. It's almost a week. And I, my daughter wanted me to do, I wasn't going to sing because I didn't know that I could get through it, you know. My daughter wanted me to sing, of all things, my eyes can only see as far as you. Hmm. And uh, at home, when I tried it, I couldn't get through it. I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me on this one. And I got through it.
1: Hmm. And he did.
2: Uh Uh-huh. He did help me. Absolutely. I don't think I could have gotten through it if, if he hadn't.
1: Well, we have a friend here of the Paul Leslie Hour, and uh, he put us in touch. A great songwriter, a vastly underrated songwriter, and I'm talking about Dan Gold. And I w- oh, my. I would be very interested to know if you could begin to describe this man with a golden speaking voice. My goodness, Dan Gold. Is he on today with us? <laughs> he he will definitely be hearing this tape.
2: Okay. Hey Dan. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> Dan is one of my best friends, and for all these years, you know that I've known him. And my heavens, what a what a great speaking voice he has! And uh, we happened to write a song together that Tammy Wynette cut. I did my best to fall in love last night. He and his wife Ruby and me jumped all over that song and. Uh, and I took it to Tammy, and she wanted to cut it. Wow! And the rest of that song is, is history. You know, it's out, it's out there. I think that's the only thing that that I wrote with Dan. But uh, and uh, but if you're listening, Dan, it ain't it ain't over yet. We we can write something else. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I always like to. Uh... Give the guest the opportunity To directly address the audience And we have all types listening in Believe me, you know All types? All types People who are musicians People who are are just fans of music Young folks, old folks People on the West Coast People up East And people over in England even I hear from a lot of them What would you say to anyone who's tuned in?
2: Well I just wish them the the very best, you know, and uh I, I just love I love writers, I love musicians, I love country music listeners, and uh I'm just glad they're part of my life. Without it, there wouldn't be no no music life out there, you know, And those folks in England, they have been so good to me over the years that I, I just love them, and that's one of my favorite places of all time. You know, you performed over there. Oh, I've performed over there many, many times. And they they have
1: an interest in this American country music.
2: Well, it, they do, I reckon. And uh, I've done the Wembley Festival. I, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've done the Wembley Festival, and I've done tours, multiple tours over there.
1: Well, there's some there's some lovely folks over there, and I'm glad that they listen. Now. Everybody out there, they can go to jimmypain.org, jimmypain.org, and that's your website, and they're going to find some of your own recordings. Are there any plans coming up to either tour or record?
2: Well, I'll tell you, I don't know about the tour because I got sick last year and uh, hospice had to bring me home from the hospital. I was given two weeks to live. I didn't even know this. And hospice brought me home and changed. I was on a lot of medication. They changed uh, the medication. And, you know, I started getting better immediately. And uh, I beat whatever I had. I don't know what I had. I know I was being treated for rheumatoid arthritis, but I was given medication that my heart doctor said, no doctor should prescribe this medication for a heart patient. Now, maybe he didn't know I was a heart patient, but he had, they got all the access to see what the patients have taken and and what their ailments have been, so there wouldn't have been any excuse not to, not to know that, you know, but um, that's what he said. They they should not have given it to me. I don't know if that's what did it. I've no idea. I just started getting better, but I'm, I, I fell again two weeks ago, a little unsteady on my legs and. And my arms and stuff like that. So I don't know. I I may be going in the fall this year to do some dates in Missouri, St. Louis Way. But we don't have that nailed down yet. And I've not played since last year. I've not been out, but I want to. Because that was my life, you know. And i got to do it again. And uh, it's certainly worth getting well for. I know that. Well... <laughs>
1: We're grateful to God that he's kept you with us And everybody again It's Jimmy P-A-Y-N-E And my last question Now this is an interesting It's another one of those Huh, that's something questions
2: <laughs> Here's the question <laughs> Yeah, you didn't give me a question list So I'm, it's, I'm just right here by myself with it
1: <laughs> we're, we're both flying blind here who is Jimmy Payne? How would you
2: define yourself? Who
1: are you at heart?
2: Well, I'm a caring person. And I like to help people when I can. There's there's things you can't help people with, but I mean, when I can. And uh, I think I'm a loving father. I got the greatest daughter in the world. and had the greatest wife in the world. And... Uh, Got the greatest son-in-law, and I feel very fortunate to still be here. That's wonderful. That's
1: wonderful. Wonderful to hear. Well, Jimmy Payne, thank you very, very much. I have enjoyed this audio exploration.
2: Paul, thank you so much for for doing this. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed it too, and and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. And uh, all the people listening out there, love you guys, and I hope this is your best year. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that to everyone
1: listening in. All right, sir. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Payne,
0: until next time. Thank you, Paul. Yes, sir. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepauleslie.com. That's thepauleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin.